Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different, different. This is NOCO FM. Welcome to Connecting a Better World, where we spend time meeting some of the most incredible human beings who make this world a better place. We will learn how each individual took their ideas, mission, and purpose to create and serve others in business and organizations that surround social good, social entrepreneurship, and social impact, and find out how we, together, can further connect others to help. I am your host, Dr. Natalie Phillips. Today, we will be talking with Bradford and Brian Manning, two brothers on a mission to cure blindness. At a young age, Bradford and Brian were both diagnosed with a rare eye disease that destroys central vision over time. They decided to fight back and left their careers in finance to start a charitable clothing company and is now the fastest growing charitable clothing brand in the country with endorsements from Ellen DeGeneres, Ashton Kutcher, Richard Branson, NBC Nightly News, and many more. Not only is their company a success through their products and endorsements, but the brothers took it a step further and hired 70% blind and visually impaired workers to produce the clothing, and they donate 100% of their profits to researchers and the Foundation Fighting Blindness to find cures for blindness. Okay, so I am super excited to introduce my guests today. I actually saw a story about them on Facebook, and I had wanted to reach out to these brothers. Their company is called Two Blind Brothers, and I'm here with Bradford and Brian Manning, and I'm excited to have them on the show to talk about what it is that they do and what they created, because it is so exciting. So Bradford and Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, we're very, we're very, very grateful, and uh, we really appreciate the opportunity. I kind of want to start at the beginning of just who you guys are and any stories that you might want to share about growing up together, which took you to where you are right now. This is Brad. I'm the older brother, so naturally I go first. For almost, <laughs> That's more of an almost. ego talking than anything. <laughs> <laughs> but just to kind of give you some backstory, you know, Brian and I, we have a rare eye condition called Stargardt's disease, which is a juvenile form of macular degeneration. A lot of people's grandparents, you know, get macular degeneration. We had it when we were five years old. Uh, and I'm, I'm five years older than Brian, so when, when I was five, I failed the kindergarten eye chart, which started this two-year hunt to figure out, you know, what, had, what was happening to my eyesight. Eventually, you know, we end up in a doctor's office uh, with my mother, and um, the doctor diagnoses me with this condition. It was a really, really hard moment uh, for my parents because it's not a curable disease and it's degenerative which gave them a lot of angst. They didn't know how quickly or how dramatically, you know, I would lose my vision. And um, it's something, you know, we've had our whole lives. Brian was diagnosed a few years later. And um, it, our, our story really started there. And, um, and that was about 27 years ago. Okay. And wh- is it just the two of you in the, in the family as siblings? 
No, we actually have a middle sister named Katie who is who actually doesn't have any any eye condition. It's interesting. Brad and I's eyesight, you know, we once we were diagnosed with this, our family really took a hard look to see, you know, where this may have came from. And interestingly enough, neither my mom or my dad's side side of any stars arts or really any uh, vision related disorders uh, as far back as we can tell. Okay, that's interesting. And so you had the genetic testing and everything and there was just nothing found. Correct. You know, 27 years ago, they didn't have genetic testing. But very recently, you know, Brian and I have been um, tested. And yeah, it's a gene called the ABCA4 gene. And we have a mutation in that gene, which basically um, causes us to metabolize vitamin A inefficiently and it creates this byproduct that builds up in the center of your vision which is toxic to the cells so that's actually the mechanism which causes the vision loss wow and i come from a background of just being in a medical field i'm actually an audiologist so i do things with the ears understanding the neuroplasticity. You know, when one sense goes, the others kind of fill in the gaps and and become stronger. What sense was heightened for you? Well, I was always disappointed growing up as a kid that I didn't get the daredevil superpowers. (laughs) I've been waiting for that to happen for 20 years. And it hasn't quite taken on. But when you do lose a sense, everything else really tries to, to fill in the gaps. We, we talk a lot about our sense of touch mm-hmm. being you know, heightened or focused on because when you have to experience the world with your hands more, you try and gain as much information from that as possible. You know, it's funny, especially now with, you know, all the don't touch your face in any way, I struggle because I basically reach out and touch everything that I see. It's just kind of my, I'm like a toddler in that sense. But I also think that the main difference is, I don't know if you actually gain more information from those other senses, but you just pay so much closer attention to all of that because you still need to exist in the world. You need to be in the world. And so wherever you can get information about what you're, where you are, what you're around, what's in front of you, what you're tasting, what you're smelling, you just focus on those so more to fill in those gaps. But, you know, a sense of touch for me, I just, I reach out and I grab everything. So it's, I'm, I'm sure there's some, some play there as well. What was the process like? You grew up together. You started having this vision issue as early as five years of age. But you still talk to me a little bit more about school and and how it took you into the world of finance first. Like Brian was sort of mentioning, you know, we had this kind of additional challenge, but we had great parents. Our parents did us a huge favor by never making us feel like we were less capable or had less chance of being successful because of this particular challenge. And, you know, by nature, if you have a challenge and you have a task in front of you, you most of the time as people, we adapt, you know, we use our resources, our creativity, our assertiveness, our resourcefulness, to, to work our way around that additional challenge, uh, especially if we, if we don't know any better, you know, especially if we feel like we're just as capable as everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what, what happened with us er, early in school. So when I first uh, was going to first grade, 
Um, I promised my mom that if I couldn't see something on the chalkboard, I would get up out of my seat, even though I was already sitting in the front row and I'd walk to the board to go see it. And immediately I remember in that, even in that initial moment, feeling how awkward, you know, that, that was, I felt like the attention of the class on me, but when it becomes a habit, when you kind of handle that attention for the second time, the fifth time, the hundredth time, all of a sudden you start developing sort of a resilience and confidence. And that's sort of just one small example of the many things, whether it was large print textbooks or going to teachers prior to the beginning of the school year, or when it was a substitute teacher needing to just pull her aside and just let her know, you know, that let him or her know that I had a vision problem. Our, our lives in school were just constant moments of adaptation, usually a moment of awkwardness followed by, you know, maybe a, a lesson around resilience. I mean, the first time you accidentally walk into the girls' bathroom in high school, you want to run away and hide and, and never come out. Yeah. Um, but fast, fast forward 20 years of learning how to take moments in stride. Um, we talk now a lot about how maybe if not for some of these things that we learned, we wouldn't have had been able to, you know, create the platform that we've had. And so anyway, to, so after school, Brian and I, you know, we were both at the University of Virginia. We applied for different jobs. I ended up working in New York. Um, at a bank, and Brian was working in sales for a um, a data company, um, and this was all prior to us launching our project. I'm just sitting here thinking, you had to be your best self advocate at such a young age, and I've seen it too. You know, in in my hearing world, where I've had to go to schools and educate teachers, friends, things like that. And it sounds like you ended up just embracing that, both of you embracing that and and running with it, which leads to, you know, like what you said, what, what you built. And, you know, being in different careers and in different areas, how did it all come back? And how did it just click that this was something that you both were going to do together? A lot, a lot of serendipity, if we're being honest, uh, some luck and maybe not enough foresight to understand how difficult it might be. I think uh, all those played a little factor that Brad and I were, I moved to New York to start a new job here. And Brad and I, you know, t- throughout our whole lives, we've always done little projects together. Basically, since I got big enough where he had to stop picking on me, we've been good friends. <laughs> it was a little rough before that, I'll be honest. But, you know, we were in uh, we were in New York and Brad actually and I were walking around, walking around and we actually went shopping at a Bloomingdale's of all places. And if you've ever been shopping or you have or you know anybody who's blind or visually impaired, shopping, it's just a pain. It's a huge nightmare because you walk in the store when you want to see if you like something, you have to take it off the rack, you have to take a picture of the size label, you have to zoom in to see if you like the price and the color and the size and if it's if if it's going to fit you and then you have to put it back because it would be small instead of a large and it just takes forever so if you're going to do that much due diligence the shirt has to feel incredible Mm -hmm. and so we walk around and brad and i lost each other and we're just skimming our hands over all the garments in this store and you know i I struck upon this one i was like wow this is amazing so i ended up buying it and when i went outside 
Brad had actually bought the exact same shirt as I had, which was a funny coincidence at the moment. We played rock, paper, scissors. I had to return it. We didn't want to dress too similarly. Uh, but then we had this kind of aha moment, this little bit of a light bulb that maybe to what we were talking about earlier, there is this extra vigilance, this diligence to touch that out of the thousands and thousands of garments in this store, we opted to buy this one. And so we had some great friends in the industry and we ended up with some opportunities to be, to sit down and source fabrics from around the world. And we kind of came up with our idea for our brand to, you know, two blind brothers. I was going to have two simple missions. One to make the best fitting and feeling clothes on the planet. And two to help cure blindness by donating 100% of our profits back to retinal researchers who are working on you know, early stages for some of these cures that we're starting to see today from small donations made 20-some-odd years ago. The shirt that you both chose, was it based on, what was your decision-making process? Was it both based on the feel and the touch? Yeah, it's funny. You know, at the time... We didn't know anything about fabric. We just literally grabbed this same shirt in the process of looking through the hundred shirts in this store. And we had no idea at the time what made a shirt soft, why it made it soft. Since then, we've learned more than we ever thought we would ever know about fabric. And if I had to guess, since we basically got rid of those shirts a long time ago since starting our own clothing brand, I think it's this tri-blend. Um, that's what we make now is this, uh, is this tri-blend fabric that uses this viscose bamboo, cotton, and spandex. You know, it's something that is super soft but breathable but has uh, structure. It's actually the sort of this, this sort of main fabric that we came up with since starting the brand is uh, what we use in our entire collection now. And it's not only about the feel of the fabric. I know that you have some markers on the bottom part of the shirt, right? That will also help people figure out what color it is, right? Does it, is it, is there also something that helps delineate the size quickly for somebody that might have visual impairments as well? So yeah, we don't on our on our shirts on the bottom right hem. We actually have in this beautifully embroidered braille that says the color of the shirt. So when you're going through your closet, you actually can reach down and feel. You know, you'll be able to feel if the Two Blind Brothers shirt and how soft it is, and then you'll be able to understand what color you're wearing. It's interesting that you bring up size because our website, you know, has full you know compliance on it. So when you are looking for your size, it's very easy to find if you are visually impaired. But our thought was that on the inside of a shirt to put the size, it actually can create a little bit of irritation on the back of your neck. Think about those old Hanes shirts that used to itch you with the tag all day long. So we decided that, you know, once you have the shirt purchased, most of your shirts in your closet probably are the size that you're hoping they are. Uh, and so we actually just delineate the color on the bottom right hat. Which is an excellent idea. That was amazing to, to see that you, you do that type of thing. 
I know that you have 70% of your workers, right, that at least have some sort of visual impairment as well. How did you decide to go that route? And I'm, I don't know if anybody else has this question, but I'm interested in like the special equipment that your workers might uh, use to produce the clothing. So how that came about is after we started to get to some very, very fortunate publicity on the brand, the Dallas Lighthouse for the Blind uh, reached out to us. As soon as they said, we're a 501c3 in Dallas, Texas, and 70% of our production workers are visually impaired and we can make your clothing, we like almost couldn't believe that it was true. We had never heard about or- organizations like that. Since then, you know, we've learned that there's actually an incredible network of these types of companies all over the place. Right now, uh, our production partner is an organization called Industries for the Blind. They make and assemble uh, some of our products, including our um, sunglasses we have. And exactly as you you mentioned, 70% of their um, workforce is uh, blind or visually impaired, and that's mandated for them to keep their... um, status and get some of the, the, the funding and grants um, that, you know, keep them afloat. And they traditionally, they actually do a ton of government contract work. So they, they're making, you know, items for the military. They're making folders and uniforms and trash bags and all kinds of kits and things like that. And so to be able to actually work with them is amazing because one of the things that we quickly realized after we started this project is it, it's great that we help contribute to preclinical research. We help try to make it tangible in a way that that's hard to do with sort of science and preclinical science at that. But the community is sort of the third leg of the stool for us. It's become in some ways the most important part uh, of this brand. And so for us to be able to you know, work with an organization like Industries for the Blind, try to be good partners for Guide Dogs for the Blind or National Federation for the Blind, um, as well as the Foundation Fighting Blindness. It's been extremely rewarding. And frankly, having people in your supply chain that understand your mission and appreciate what you're trying to do doesn't hurt either. I mean, the work they do is just incredible. And and actually to your question about adaptations and, and sort of uh, technology, you'd be shocked at actually how little or how small the adaptations or accommodations need to be to make someone as effective as somebody who is fully sighted. And Brian and I have had that experience our entire lives, whether it was in the classroom or at work getting, you know, just a, a, another monitor that lets us, you know, zoom in on our work. Um, you know, it, it's just, we live in a world with so, so much technology that it really is leveling the playing field and the companies, the organizations that are willing to get a little creative and flexible with people so that they can work, you know, at their highest level, I, I think are often surprised. And that's certainly the case that we've had with uh, Industries for the Blind and Dallas Lighthouse for the Blind. Yeah. And I, and I believe it because technology is incredible for the hearing world as well. You know, it is something where it might just be more of an accommodation, you know, and learning about the awareness of different things that are out there that might actually make it a little bit easier. You talked about the community. And when you went into this, did you think and were you involved 
in different communities that pushed out visual awareness, like how you talked about, you know, partnering with the industries for the blind and maybe giving back or, or working with the seeing eye dogs or wh- whatever it is, you know, um, some different community organizations that may have come into your awareness. What's some of the ones that you thought, wow, like we didn't know very much about this one, but they've reached out to us and we have this sort of platform and yeah, let's work together. Are there ones that are there that you saw was kind of like a natural partnership for you? Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I have been absolutely blown away and, and, and humbled and stunned at the amount of effort, dedication, and passion that these different organizations have. We have the absolute great fortune of partnering with Guide Dogs to the Blind out in just north of San Francisco and California, where they partner Guide Dogs with blind and visually impaired individuals with absolutely no cost to the person. So they get these, they get these incredible dogs that provide a sense of independence and help these people go and live even more, even stronger, even better and fulfilling lives all at no cost, just from charitable giving. And that's, you know, a larger institution, but then you get to see all of these small chapters of people, you know, the New York city, you know, vision chapter where it's just young professionals getting together to talk about their eyesight. And these happen all across the country and the fervor and energy and support and love that come out of each and every one of these smaller organizations is, is just truly profound, you know, and, and Brad and I, that, you know, largest partner is the foundation fighting blindness who for the, over the last 45 plus years has been the leader in, you know, retinal eye research. They basically created the field back, back in the day. And they've been, the group that's been driving this research forward. I think they've donated something over $700 million to retinal researchers who are working on finding a cure. And it's really been incredible to see their passion towards driving to the future to find a cure for these diseases. And we have been fortunate enough to be able to meet other organizations that are focusing on folks today from a quality of life standpoint. And between those two, you know, there's obviously always more that can be done and there's always more that that will be done. But the the energy we feel and the love that goes into all of this is just so, so amazing. And And it makes today to be one of the you know best times in history to be blind. Talking about research, first of all, I have to say props to you both because 100% of your profits to research is huge, is huge. And do you keep up with what's going on out there with the research? You know, like in the hearing world, we have implants, we have stem cell regeneration, gene studies, you know, functional MRIs that we can kind of focus on and do different things. But what's some of the research that you're seeing that that excites you about fighting blindness? Absolutely. Brian and I both have roles at the Foundation Fighting Blindness. So we're, we, we stay pretty close to, uh, you know, the work that they're doing and, it's interesting. So I, I'm sure you're familiar in the hearing community as well or in, in research related to deafness. It's all up and down the spectrum from the preclinical conceptual science to the, the commercialization, the big clinical trials. Um, there, there's a few things that uh, get us really excited. Uh, one of the most recent sort of major, major breakthroughs that is actually curing people's 
Linus is a company called Spark Therapeutics. They have an FDA-approved product that was approved, I think, last year uh, called Luxterna. And it's a gene therapy for a, a rare condition called labor's congenital amaurosis. It's this gene called the RPE65 uh, gene, and it you know it doesn't affect a large population, only about you know a few hundred uh, children a year, but it causes blindness in children. And this therapy has a uh, ability to reverse that condition, not slow it down, you know, not stop it, but rever- reverse it. And we, we we've had the chance to talk to a mother with two kids that were treated with this, and it, it really is miraculous. And and what that did. It, you know, every success where, I mean, we're very lucky to be living in this medical revolution. Um, you know, this kind of science didn't exist until a decade or two ago in the way it does now. So you're seeing tons and tons of money pouring into this space. An example of like a very early thing that's being funded right now by the foundation fighting blindness that uh, related to our condition is, um, um, this, uh, uh, researcher named, uh, Dr. Susan Boyd. Um, one of the issues with our gene, the ABCA4 gene that controls Stargardt's our condition is that it's too big for traditional gene therapies. Typically they take this gene, they put it in this virus called the AAB virus to infect all your cells, but our gene is too big to actually fit inside that virus. So, you know, Dr. Boyd is actually working on splitting the gene in half and delivering it into the cell with two separate viruses and then having the cell's natural repair mechanisms. And, you know, I, I can talk and pretend like I actually know. I have no idea how she's mm. doing. This is, this is all sort of science fiction to me. Um, but it just, it, it, you know, all, all these examples highlight, you know, how, how fast things are moving and w- what the impact can be. You know, from our standpoint, it's get, the funds to the talented, credible researchers, have them prove out conceptual science, and then have the um, for-profit commercial partners, the big corporates, the biotech and pharma companies come in to take these things through clinical trials. It's getting us very excited. We see interesting things um, all, all the time. Wow. That's amazing, too. And that must be exciting for your family to see that, to be able to fund the research. I mean, it's like what you said. It, it's not just an idea, but it's something that you have to get it to the researcher who can then prove, right, that this might actually work and then get enough. And I've been part of clinical trials, but to take it to the clinical trials, I mean, there's a process. There's a long process. And sometimes that takes a few years, too, in order to just try one thing out. Or how long has Two Blind Brothers been kind of this social enterprise? I'm going to kind of name it. We founded, I, I think we started a little over, a little under four years ago. What do you see like in the future? Like where is this going to go for both of you as well as hopefully something that's out there that, that might actually, you know, get close to curing blindness? Do you have like this vision or this dream of where you want it to go? It's a phenomenal question, and you know it's something that you can daydream about. I would love to sit on the back deck of a house and with a with a beer and a book and be able to actually sit there and read it. That would be a delightful day for me. But you know, as long you know, for for Brad and I, or I'll, I'll speak for myself. You know, really, what we hope with a lot of the dollars that we are able to donate and the research updates and keeping this community in the loop on a lot of this miraculous science is not so much to find the cure tomorrow, because as you said, these treatments can take years to come to fruition. 
But the big hope is to act is to do just that provide hope is that people know that they're incredibly smart, incredibly talented, incredibly amazing folks that are working every single day to find a cure. You know, we talked to somebody the other day who is pretty, you know, down in the dumps about their, about their disease, which is understandable. You know, it's a terrifying thing, but they said that they took a lot of solace. This young man I spoke to for about a year, he was very depressed. And he said he started looking at it and saw that research was coming and that he, you know, he felt like his disease was going to be cured in his lifetime. And he didn't want to just quit on life now because he was saying if, if the cure comes in five years, I don't want to have wasted five years of my life waiting for that moment. I want to be ready when it comes so that I can take full advantage of it. And that mentality and that idea for hope is so crucial and critical to us. You know, Brad, I would love to be cured of diversity. That that would be an amazing thing. And there's so many people striving for that. But being able to know that in the future there could be something to me is, is, is nearly as valuable because it keeps you fighting and keeps you going. everybody, this is Adrian from Feminist Hot Dog, and I want you to join me and my awesome guests as we put the fun in feminism. It's true. On Feminist Hot Dog, we explore all the ways feminism makes the world a better place, no matter who you are. So come hang out on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Mountain on NoCo FM, and don't forget, love yourself and love your buns. See you on Wednesday. Here's something you might not know. NOCO FM is also a podcast network producing one-of-a-kind programming like the show you're enjoying right now. We have talk shows, original comedy, music shows curated by real people, and a lot more. So if you like what you're hearing, make NOCO FM a part of your day and tell your friends. Remember, that's www.noco.fm. Hi there, my name is Kevcat, and I am the host of NoCo Gadio, airing Fridays at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a member of our Patreon. Your support is vital to keeping us on air and growing this awesome community. Find out more at noco.fm. You know, I kind of looked at your website and I noticed that you have some very fun ways to get people involved. Obviously, you know, the year of 2020 is your year, right? With the play on on the vision of 2020, right? But on your website, you have this great landing spot when you first visit that you challenge people to shop blind. So tell me where that came from and and what your hope is with, with that project. So this actually just started as, you know, a funny conversation between Brian and I, you know, sometimes we try to figure out, you know, what, what, what has our experience been with our vision impairment? What lessons have we learned and how can we incorporate that into our brand? And, you know, one example of that is what we talked about earlier, where we're putting the braille on the hem of the shirt, you know, that, that is a way for us to, 
draw attention to Braille literacy when we felt uh, totally isolated being brought out of our classes to go learn to read Braille. Um, And it's a way for us to sort of expose and highlight that and to try to do it in a way that is, um, that's fun and aesthetically beautiful. One idea we had was around this, this concept of trust. When Brian and I were growing up with our vision impairment, you know, people always ask us all the time, what, what tools do you use? What accommodations do you use? And funny enough, when we really were boiling it down, there's a few things that we use, but one of the things that you wouldn't expect is sort of other people. Uh, by putting our trust in them. And an example might be, you know, if we can't see a sign in a sandwich shop or if we can't see a menu in a restaurant, instead of trying to get a magnifier or draw out our phones, we might just turn to the person next to us and say, you know, what do you recommend? Um, Or can you tell me what that says? And, you know, these little acts of trust have always, 99.99% of the time lifted us up. And by relying on other people, we've gotten so much further in life. And we wanted to try to create a situation where we could pay it forward to our customers. So basically what the shop blind experience is, we take down all the the, the product images, the information, you don't get anything except a price point and you're asked the question, Will you shop blind? Will you trust us and buy something you cannot see? And what we try to do and what we hope the customer will feel or the supporter will feel when they get their gift is that that trust was uh, well-deserved. And we tried to give them something special from our clothing collection. And it's been a phenomenal campaign for us. It's obviously it's been good. Um, you know, good business for the project, but the reactions that we get to it, that, that we get from it, the, um, the reviews of it are, are wonderful. It, it allows us to create sort of a branded experience that not a lot of other brands get to do. And it really, really, truly uh, reflects the concept that we were trying to communicate, which is this concept of trust. People are literally giving us their credit card numbers in our Shopify account without knowing what they're getting. And um, it, it's, it's really special that um, it, it's helped us grow our project uh, tremendously. I just loved it because it was fun and creative. And I love it even more now because of, of what it's, it stands for too, with, with the whole trust and the background of, of what you guys were trying to do. So I absolutely love it. And it does work also because you have developed a following and you've developed a brand that people do trust because of that. And so, you know, maybe starting that off in your first year might not have um, worked as well, but because of who you are and the, company why even, right? I think that puts you out there to get people to trust that you're going to take care of them, right? It's not, you know, a scam or it's not anything like that, but that they do believe in you, your story, and that you will take care of them as well. So I, I loved it. It was it was very fun and creative. When, when giving back in this type of process, what might be a favorite story that you might have either one of you or both of you that you can share with my listeners? 
the one that really warmed my heart and shadowed it at the same time was actually very early on. Uh, there was a it was kind of the first glimpse behind the curtain of that we of the community upswelling, and it it stuck with me ever since. You know, we got a message in our probably in our second week of being a business after we had taken this video and we had put it out online, and this gentleman had reached out to just our customer service, and he was 45 miles north of Albuquerque, so you can imagine he's in a little bit of a desolate location. And he said in his message that he had had a visual impairment, a disease called retinitis pigmentosa, for 20 years. He had never met another person with an eye condition. He had felt very lonely. He had felt very isolated. He had felt like this disease had put him into a really bad situation. But he said he saw this video. He got this video shared to him on Facebook. And he went through and he started reading all of these comments from people that said they had the same disease, that they had a disease like them, sharing their stories, telling about their experiences. And in the end of his message, he said that he had reached out to two or three organizations around him and that he was going to meet some other people with the visual impairment and that he was excited about it. It's the first time you'd been really excited about his visual impairment in a very long time. That moment just made us realize the responsibility that this brand was going to have and the impact that we could make. You know, if I could make this gentleman's day 1% better, then then we're doing something incredible. And we are, we were just so blown away by that outpouring and that, that raw, authentic emotion that really has resonated with me and stuck with me, you know, over the past four years. Hearing from people in the community being given the chance to, you know, put, play a role in it has, you know, changed Brian and I's perspective quite a bit. I mean, you know, there, there's a story that, I, I, I can't shake it, it. It rattles me every time I think about it. Um, it's the story of this uh, 77 year old grandmother um, who was diagnosed with macular degeneration. And she was very worried about spending the last decade of her life, losing her vision and, and thus losing her independence, not being able to drive, not being able to see her grandkids. She somehow um, got in touch with this facility in Florida that was planning to do stem cell replacement therapy for people with macular degeneration. Uh, They told her it was a $9,000 treatment. She crowdfunded it from her family and friends. She didn't have the money to do it. Um, She went down. She had the procedure done. And the procedure was sort of a, sort of a, a scam facility, and she went blind because her retina was detached from the procedure two months later, um, and she lost lost all her vision. Brian and I, you know, when we hear a story like that, it really reminds you of how desperate and awful people can feel, especially at the moment of diagnosis if they're alone, if they don't have a community around them, if there isn't a voice somewhere in their lives telling them that, you know, that those 
feelings that are misplaced. And the fact that someone like her could find herself in that situation to us is completely unacceptable. And the fact that, you know, we have an ability today to reach people has really kind of flipped the reason for the project a little bit. When we first started this project, a lot of it was born out of fun, but also, you know, inspiration. We felt this spark of inspiration. But when you start to notice the impact that you can have, it's not so much inspiration, but it's also responsibility. If you're one of those people who just for whatever, you know, the, the grace of God is capable, smart enough, uh, resourceful enough, able to make a difference. We never appreciated this sense of responsibility because we weren't seeing it in the community. We weren't exposed to the community. We weren't hearing from, you know, the mothers, the fathers, the individuals every day who face these problems. But now what inspires us on Two Blind Brothers is the sense that we, for whatever reason, have been put in a situation where we have an ability to make a difference. And that is a, that is an obligation and not simply the the initial spark, which was the, was the inspiration. And I know people are just going to fall in love with the story, the why, you know, everything that you guys represent and, you know, thinking about how, if somebody's listening to this, what they can do to either get involved, obviously, you know, spreading the word, you guys are great on social media, you know, purchasing your products. Is there any other type of way that, or connection that you might need to, if someone wanted to get involved or help even push this, and I don't even want to call it a project because it really isn't. I mean, you know, um, but push this, I guess, inspiration, you know, or this, or this passion, um, forward for you? Like what can people do besides spreading the word and purchasing the products? Those are two great places to start. Uh, we love when people get two blind brother shirts and, and socks and apparel and everything, because we think it's the greatest in the, in the world. And we know that you're going to love it too. You know, sharing the mission on social is, is huge, but you know, we, we actually really love it when people share or talk about our story in person. You know, we, when you tell a friend about this and make that interpersonal connection and, you know, if you're somebody who suffers from a disability, be it, you know, eye-related, ear-related, any mental, anything at all, you know, you should talk about it to somebody and to talk about it to that extent we think is a very powerful thing. And the other thing, if people out there could you know, take away from this conversation and to implement their own lives is this idea of empowerment, you know, that a lot of disability is not as much a physical limitation as it can be a self-esteem limitation, something I suffered with for a very, very long time. And I think that understanding that, you know, your disability does not, does not preclude you from doing anything. And frankly, that most disabilities and challenges across the board are where you're going to grow the most. And the best things that can come are usually the hardest things that you have to go through. And so, you know, if people can support us, that's great. But if they can also, you know, take that message, take that, you know, empowerment into their own hearts and go out into the world and to try and do a little bit of good, that would be amazing. Brad and I would love more than anything to see a 
thousand other two blind brothers like projects springing up for everything for every other disease disorder challenge cause because the more that come the more that are out there the better the world will be somebody resonates with our project they they either support the cause or curious about the clothing you know we love them to come shop, shop line, to get, get something from our collection. You know, we think they'll be happy with it. But like Brian said, we're, we are equally excited about the fact that the, the real trick here is if you can identify what cause resonates with you, what kind of, what nuanced, unique aspect or challenge of your life have you learned from, or do you have a, a special experience in? And if you're motivated in that direction, we just want to be a megaphone uh, and, and a cheerleader for that person. Brian and I, four and a half years ago, had no clue what would happen with this project. All, we had no business plan. We were doing it because it was fun and we wanted to help the Foundation Fighting Blindness, which is a cause that we cared about. And, and go figure when you're passionate about something, when it doesn't feel like work, when you would do it with no success or a ton of success because you just love what you're doing, you will draw a community around you. And, and just, just to echo what Brian said, you know, our highest aspiration is to help inspire that next uh, project. I love that. That's awesome. Thank you guys so much for both giving me your time and to allow me to learn a little bit more about your story and what you're doing. And I'm absolutely enjoying this and I'm sure the listeners will as well. Well, we have been overjoyed to be able to join you today and thank you for having us. And to all the listeners out there, I hope you all have a exceptional day while you're listening. Thank you so much. Yeah, without without people like you willing to share our story and, you know, we, we wouldn't have the ability to uh, be a part of this community in the way we are. So we're just so grateful to, to um, be able to talk with you today. Thank you so much for tuning in to Connecting a Better World and thank you NOCO FM for supporting this show. If you haven't heard, NOCO FM is dedicated to bring diverse voices and spotlighting a unique culture to Fort Collins and beyond. For more information, please visit www.noco.fm. If you connected to something in this episode, we would love to hear from you. Our contact info will be listed in the show notes, as well as you can reach us on our social media channels. Please feel free to share our podcast with your friends and loved ones. For more shows, please tune in to noco.fm online. This has been a production of NOCO FM. 